Welcome to The Microscopists, a bite-sized bio podcast, hosted by Peter O'Toole, sponsored by Zeiss Microscopy. Today on The Microscopists. Today on The Microscopists, we have a special technology focus episode featuring developers, experts, and end users of something called fluorescence correlation spectroscopy. Coming up, Torsten and Roland highlight how incredibly rich FCS data can be. The movement of, the, of these molecules contains so much information. It contains information about the environment, right? In what kind of environment are you? More viscous, less viscous? It tells you something about whether these molecules interact with something. If you interact with something, you move slower. If you, uh, it tells you something about how you move, right? If you have flow, you get a different kind of uh, signal than if you randomly move around, right? Annette Baxter from Zeiss Research Microscopy Solutions highlights how AeriScan technology is being adapted to make FCS more user-friendly. In this case, this was really a very circular way to approach this because since FCS is not so in focus, it's maybe not as straightforward as increased speed or increased resolution or increased sensitivity, what is in microscopy obvious. So we came together um, the AeriScan technology with its benefits for FCS and the idea to make something very approachable for everybody. And Chris McDonald, here from York with me, shares how much simpler Dynamics Profiler makes acquiring data on intracellular dynamics. And if you look at her data and my data, they're remarkably similar. So again, I was, you know, going into it with, with nothing to, no expectations, but actually being genuinely quite impressed with the results we got. All in this episode of The Microscopists. Hi, I'm Peter O'Toole from the University of York, and welcome to today's special uh, podcast, The Microscopist, which is actually a technology-focused one, talking about fluorescence correlation spectroscopy and dynamics profiler. And today, as I guess, I have Torsten Wallen from the National Institute, uh, University of Singapore. Morning, afternoon. How are you today, Torsten? Hi, how are you? No, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to be on the post- podcast. Thanks a lot for the invitation. Yeah, no problems. I've got uh, Annette Werchter from Zeiss. Hello. Uh, based in Jena? Yes, based in Jena, living in Jena. Over in Germany, yeah. and I have Chris McDonald, actually from very local to me, from University of York at York. Chris, how are you? I'm doing pretty well, thanks. <laughs> so this is slightly different. I have uh, We have three individuals here who have a very different take uh, or vested interest, maybe, should I say, on the technology. Uh, Torsten is a technologist, Annette is the one who's actually hopefully making it more user-friendly, and Chris, uh, as an end-user perspective, to simply give us a wraparound of why, why we're interested in this, what it can do for us, and the importance in general to science and what it can do for us in the future. So actually, I'm going to come to you first, Torsten, if that's okay, and maybe just introduce your background yourself a little bit and why you're interested in fluorescence correlation spectroscopy, which I think from here on we'll call FCS. Yeah, so I'm I'm actually a physicist, and I started, of course, like every physicist uh, wants to do astronomy. And then I realized at some point, um, um, I, let's put it that way, I met the right person um, uh, who showed me uh, something about biology, and I got more interested in biology and biophysics. And so I started actually this career in biophysics and in fluorescence. 
And then I started uh, working my PhD then on fluorescence correlation spectroscopy, and I never really left the field. So I'm now joined here at the, the Department of Biological Science in, in, in Singapore. And no regrets not having gone into the stars? Well, as a physicist, you always regret it a little bit. <laughs> no, 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 not, not really. I'm, I've been very, very happy uh, with the career up to now. And, and FCS is a fantastic technique. And there's always something new to do. There's always something uh, to improve. And uh, that's what we've done over the last years, I hope. Which I, which I think is amazing. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about the latest developments in FCS. I, I remember hearing the first time I was exposed to FCS was, I think, in 2002 at mm -hmm. a EMBO course at EMBL. Uh, and Petra Schwiller uh, was yeah. one of the speakers. And actually, Petra Schwiller got hands-on in the demonstration. And it wasn't just FCS that was interesting. I learned so much about GFP and blinking and the phenomena and, and concentrations and everything else I'd not had to think about before. That actually just learning around the technology helped inform a lot of other strategies as well. It's amazing, it's still, I mean, that's 20 years ago, 21 years ago, and it's still developing. That's nuts. Yeah, it is. I mean, the, the biggest thing about this is really, you know, 20, 30 years ago when we started, right? Uh, you needed to have a custom build system and you needed to do all your data treatment uh, alone. By now, technology has developed so much that basically with almost all instruments we have, you can do actually FCS. Most people just don't know it or don't do it, but they should. <laughs> <laughs> Which we'll hear more about in a moment. The, Annette, if I can come to you, please. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what's your expertise in this? You know, how did you get into life sciences and FCS? Okay. Um, so I am. By training, I'm a developmental biologist. I did a lot of uh, microscopy, uh, but more imaging based. And then I joined Zeiss 15 years ago, roughly, and um, I'm now responsible for the LSM in the mar as a marketing manager. I just think a little bit about my job title, I have to say, um, been switching them uh, uh, quite a bit uh, during my time. Um, and so I have to say, I'm not at all an expert in FCS. So my role is very much looking into the applications that are needed, what is developing. And so I, I normally get into topics in a very short amount of time and kind of zoom into them and uh, try to understand them more from a kind of broader perspective. But I will not be the person who can explain to you every mathematical formula or effect in detail, I would say. I, I, I think that's fine. Um, <laughs> you say you're marketing manager. Yes. Okay, so my interactions with you have never been about marketing particularly, but very much been around the development of new technology. So right. <laughs> how, how closely is that entangled? Marketing um, manager doesn't sound like your role from my, in my interactions with you in the past. Okay. Um, I can see how this might be uh, maybe a bit confusing, but it is very close. So, I mean, it's not, when, when you think of marketing in, in our field of work, microscopy, where you are not, let's say, selling a lifestyle or an idea, like uh, maybe a soft drink would do, but you are focusing on what is really needed in the field and where the scientific focus is and where people are heading towards. So to improve their everybody's life, you have to look in, in, in terms of marketing manager, you're really looking into the market, um, looking what's trending, looking what's maybe beneficial. And um, then you are very close in 
making decisions or being part of the decision, what will be developed next and how this should look like, which kind of technology will be used. And then during this process of development, um, we are extremely close to our product managers and um, we have to be close to development because even though we might not become experts, we need really to understand the pros and cons um, the can do and can't do of everything we are doing. So then we cannot make promises that are false, but can essentially kind of cook it down for everybody to understand. And that's where it gets very heterogeneous. And um, maybe next time we speak, I have to point out more about marketing material. So <laughs> I'm not sure. I, I, I know when, so, so actually here at York, we do a lot of uh, beach testing for Zeiss. Uh, and I, I do appreciate we need a lot of not just necessarily the scientific scientifically best data sometimes it needs to be marketing data which is subtly different in it mm -hmm. I, I do know that you, you are asking for that as well but the, I think what was interesting we need a podcast actually on careers because I, I think that what you just described is something very different to what most people or certainly what I would assume mm -hmm. would be a marketing manager's post I, I'd be thinking it's all about how to promote it, how to do social media, whereas actually you're looking at the content, the, right. where the market is, it's very close to a product manager and the application side. It, it is, as you say, become very mixed up with those. It's it's a, it's a really heterogeneous <clears throat> mix there because you're looking as well at business opportunities. You're kind of at this intersection of technology, application, business, and then marketing. I do work with our marketing specialists with um, the messaging, the wording, the campaigns, because you need to understand a technology and the benefit to then do the wording right. So this is really this, this way it becomes um, very interesting, I would say, and exciting. Okay. We'll come back because you've got a, a business need and I, I will come back to uh, <laughs> that obviously in a bit. And Chris, uh, yeah, what, what is your active research in at the moment? And did you always want to be doing what you're doing now? I would say since I was an undergrad, when I first did a lab project, then I decided to get into research. But I had, I had no intentions of doing a PhD until the very end of undergrad, to be honest. Uh, and then since then, we've been working on membrane, well, I've been working on membrane trafficking throughout my entire career. So PhD, postdoc, and the stuff we've been doing since I came to York. And like it's fundamentals i suppose membrane trafficking is the movement of proteins lipids throughout a cell so this lends itself to things like microscopy and fluorescent proteins you know so there's we tag things and we watch them and we uh, we do a lot of work with yeast so budding yeast there's powerful genetic tools so we can break pathways by deleting genes and then seeing the consequences that has by microscopy <clears throat> And so you're using yeast, I presume, as a model system. Uh, again, if I go back, if you Paul Nurse is a prime example of this at Cancer Research, or Crick uh, with the cancer research using yeast as a model system. I presume you're, you, you're not so interested maybe in the yeast per se, but using it as a model system? Yeah, uh, so different yeast from Paul Nurse. We use budding yeast, he uses fission yeast, but the, the, the idea is the same. We're, the things we study are highly conserved across all eukaryotes so we can do genetic screens in yeast but the things we focus on the you know human cells have counterparts that we think perform in the same or similar ways 
So yeast is a model, you know, it's a tractable model for conserved processes across eukaryotic cells. Okay, so so you're interested in the, the dynamics of these proteins, the trafficking side. So actually, if I come back to you, Torsten, the dynamics of proteins, uh, lipids and proteins both, are seeing that where you've actually made your career uh, an expertise in with the different biophysical techniques that you've been at the pioneering edge. So can you describe a bit about what FCS actually does and how it does it? Ah, yeah, okay. So um, FCS in principle uh, analyzes fluctuations, right? And tries to get information out of there. So how do you best imagine that? So let's assume you live in a city, okay? You open your window. So what are you gonna hear? So lots of noise, car noise. Exactly. So now you're going to hear a car from time to time, right? Um, so how do you analyze that? So so first of all, it just sounds like noise. You don't think to, uh, think about it. But if you if you if you listen to it, you hear it's like wow, 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 right? So this actually contains information. It contains information about how many cars they are. It tells you how fast they are. Right, depending on whether you are live at a highway or live in a city, right? Cars go with 100 kilometers per hour, 30 kilometers per hour. That will you'll hear that, and you basically can analyze that by averaging all these uh, all that information, basically statistically evaluated. And then somehow the statistics will tell you there were so many cars on average, and they moved with that speed on average. Now, if you replace cars with fluorescent molecules and hearing with seeing. We had FCS. So what we do is we basically look at molecules coming by and each time they come by, they give you a fluorescent peak. And from these peaks, you can evaluate how fast these molecules move. And the interesting thing is the, the movement of, the, of these molecules contains so much information. It contains information about the environment, right? In what kind of environment are you? More viscous, less viscous? It tells you something about whether these molecules interact with something. If you interact with something, you move slower. If you, uh, it tells you something about how you move, right? If you have flow, you get a different kind of uh, signal than if you randomly move around, right? And that is what FCS can, can get for you. So it measures on one side concentrations and diffusion, but it can extract so much more information than about the actual cellular uh, environment and its interactions. So I, I, I've got to say, I love the analogy of opening the, the, the window in the city and listening to cars. I've not heard that analogy before. And now I'm going to be using that analogy because <laughs> you can visualize it, hear it, whatever, picture it in your head really, really clearly. <clears throat> so this is this sounds great. Uh, and you've explained the viscosity, the interactions, and these are very important for all sorts of cell signaling. You know, <clears throat> take it back to your medicines, your drug designs, everything else, uh, underlying disease. These interactions, viscosities are very important to understand so we can understand how to treat or what, what's causing them to start with. But if it's so good, I, 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 I've got to be careful not to make this a criticism. It, I, we, we have FCS and FCCS at York, but only a few users really embrace it and take off with it. Why, why, why isn't everyone doing this then? Yeah, that's a very good question. <laughs> no, the, the simple thing is that the, the problem lies in the evaluation of the data. Right, as I said, I mean, you evaluate the data, you get a statistical function. That's what we call the correlation function, the autocorrelation function. <laughs> and that needs to be fitted and interpreted. And that uh, 
at the moment is mostly done by expert users. They're looking at that, they're trying to fit the data and to have an intuition for, for that function itself takes some time. So it is, it is at the moment, not necessarily a push button technique. However, that I think with the advances in technology we have right now, we can get there. And I think that shouldn't take too long before we are at, at a level where we can do FCS measurements and uh, you get the data out without having an expert user around you. I mean, I think that's the ultimate goal for us. Yeah, I, I, I think you, that that's certainly my experience as well with it, that it's, I, I, you know, the users that we use it, I, I get quite excited when the user says they're going to do FCS. Mm. Uh, I, I get my team now to help the user, but I get involved because <laughs> I've got to say they're more competent. My staff are more competent on the system than I am in some cases, and certainly for the FCS, they're certainly more competent than FCCS. But actually, I'm a default frapper. So I, I would use frap to look at protein dynamics, which is great when you have a high concentration. But also FCS hasn't historically been able to cope with the high densities of some of the proteins. Uh, certainly in our case. I, I, is that the case for yourself as well, Torsten? Um, in principle, yes. In principle, that's correct. Um, the high concentrations can be a problem. But actually, most of the, the, the proteins we look at are never expressed at these high concentrations. So typically when we look for, for proteins in a cell, most of the time, if you take confocal microscopy, we can't even see the cell. That are the cells we measure FCS in very often because actually the proteins, we don't want to overexpress the proteins. If you of course have an overexpressed system or you have a system that is really very, very highly expressed, then you have to, then again, there, there are tricks. I mean, there's somebody who showed that you can go up to 40 micromolar concentrations or so, right? Ted Laurenta has done that very nicely, but uh, you're right. There, FRAP might be the the, the better option. I, I think that's a, a lovely point. You know, so in some of these biological cases, people are expressing a protein of interest, uh, which can there, if it's if especially if it's fluorescent proteins, at that point it may no longer be endogenously, endogenously relevant. In other words, you may have one. So my my analogy now, uh, if I'm giving you a lecture and there's a hundred seats in the lecture theatre. That's 100 binding sites for people to go and sit on. If you now put 1,000 people in the room, 900 are going to be walking around looking for a binding site, looking very dynamic, whereas the 100 functional people that are sat down, or maybe they're asleep and not functional, I don't know which way it would be, would actually be the immobilised ones at a very different diffusion rate. But you'd see the 900, not the 100. And I guess that's what you're suggesting, that actually sometimes you shouldn't be looking at those high concentrations. But actually, I think this is something we'll come <laughs> to with Dynamics Profile, which is the latest mm -hmm. innovation in this area. The thing that I've found quite useful is being able to look at the concentration and then comparing concentrations with the diffusion rates to show that you're not in a <clears throat> an odd realm and that you are seeing linearity that, that relates to the concentration and the diffusional rates and the properties. And I presume you've been looking at that anyway. So the nice thing about FCS, you can get the concentration of your protein or your lipids as well, Torsten. Uh, yes, you can. I mean, but as I said, most of the time uh, for us, uh, we, we we try to uh, work at endogenous levels. So we, we have actually typically concentrations that are very, uh, relatively low. And uh, with lipids, same thing. We typically label with a very small amount to disturb the system as little as possible. Mm. Each time you put a label on something, you, you disturb it in some way. 
Yeah. yeah. So especially biologists are very tough on 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 FCS uh, experts on that one. I'll come back. So oh no, you can't label so much. You 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 know it's not not, not relevant anymore. Yeah, but, but then everyone using fluorescent protein has inevitably added a tag, and, and it's the best tool we have at the moment. So I'll defend. Uh, <laughs> I have I'm a fluorescent microscopist. We have to defend tags at this point. <laughs> uh, can I can ask you a question, please. That you know. This sounds wonderful. So, why why did we need new innovation? What what were the limitations that you saw that you've helped to overcome? Uh, oh, so how do I approach this question now? That's that's the question, right? So how where do I start? Um, I think one is um, that um, FCS is um, or was a kind of uh, an expert method, right? So that was something that was very um, I was at least very aware of it because I would get a training and then I had a break and then I would need to get trained again to learn all the buttons and twists and so on and so forth. So it's maybe a little bit my background. Um, so why does it need innovation? I think one was that we said, okay, what when we go into planning what we do next, maybe I kind of circle, can I circle your question a little bit? Um, yeah, of course do. Yes. So, <laughs> because, it's because when, we, when we plan what we do next, I mean, we do look from very different perspectives right so what like what i said what's trending what is needed where is where are you heading um on the other hand you look what do you have um what is what is being developed what kind of ideas are there in terms of technology so we speak uh with people who so we are looking in all those directions and so maybe as a sort of an analogy if you're planning a new feature you would say okay um if i have a kind of plate of wood and four sticks, I might make a table, right? That's very logical. And then this is fantastic because the technology would give you this. But if you already have 10 tables or nobody needs a table because you're sitting on the floor eating, then this is a, not the way to go. So you might make a shelf or something else. And this is what happens in those cases. You look what you have at hand, what kind of innovation there is, and then you see, is does it even make sense? And what kind of vision could you have for this? for your users. And um, in this case, this was really a very circular way to approach this because since FCS is not so in focus, it's maybe not as straightforward as increased speed or increased resolution or increased sensitivity, what is in microscopy obvious. So we it came together, um, the AeriScan technology with its benefits for FCS and the idea to make something very approachable for everybody and my vision together with um, dear colleagues of mine was at the beginning to say let's take this and make this for everybody like everybody who does a live experiment can use it in the end and this came together and i can't i, I remember pretty much the day and the moment where we wrote this down and from then on you follow this kind of guiding star but it's it's very it's a very dynamic process until this comes together and then you move into this direction and um yeah go along this way and and um maybe as a last sentence um in this process you get to know your feature better and better and then you kind of it it develops a very nice in this case it leaves a very nice dynamic and um yeah <laughs> Chris, just a heads up before I come to you. Everyone's had a really good analogy, so I hope you're working on one at the moment. <laughs> I'm kind of conscious of that, actually. I was feeling a bit underprepared because I do not have an analogy. 
Oh, but I think these analogies anyway. are lovely because actually, if you're not expert in the field, it does help you understand the logic and the thought process and why these things are important. Uh, yeah. I, I was, oh gosh, now I forgot my train of thought. Now, <laughs> uh, so FCS has been really a more niche, specialised mm. because of that level of expertise. Mm. There's eyes to do what they've done to try and make it. We'll talk about the product, which makes it more user friendly. Mm. But, yeah, part of that nicheness was expertise but you know if you need it you'd have done it I and Chris you had to go with classic FCS so you know when you need it you would go for mm -hmm. it so where, why did you think there was a market for this and it's not just something so, that just you know it's just you know the the, the a technique for the a niche technique that right. just people want what made you think or realize that actually this this is a technique that actually has a big audience just the big audience can't actually access it yet mm -hmm. Hmm. So I think it's when you yeah, when you think about it, um, you can measure more than the eye can see. So even with normal super resolution, you will not get to this level of information. And um, the idea was um, with all those different data sets we have um, going into living samples, one is fundamentally missing. So you can characterize your cells in terms of the shape, the behavior, maybe the, how they divide, how they arrange, but the underlying dynamics are essentially cut off. And that's exactly the point. You don't go there if you don't have to, but who wouldn't go somewhere to explore something if you don't have the, if, if you have the ability to just explore something. I think that's something that is so much a scientific view, at least for me, that if, if you open a door and you walk through it, you never know what you might get. So there might be a completely new way to characterize your sample if you're able to measure concentration, even if it's even if it's not endogenous anymore. So even if you're comparing your different mutant strains that you created and want to see, okay, which one is maybe the lowest concentration, or if I have a very heterogeneous expression level, I can now not look at this with intensities, but I can put numbers on it. And... Um, with, and we probably come later to it with Aries scan, we could even expand it a little bit. But this was the initial idea that if you're exploring, you can find things that you might have not known and you might realize it's actually something that I want to explore more or want to go down this path, even with other technology, but you have to open this door. And um, so, yeah, I, th I think that's a very personal thing. So I did this with LSM in my studies. I threw a die on my little model organism and I saw something and somebody next to me said, oh, this has never been published. Nobody knows this. It's very simple, right? It's not, it, it, and this is the idea behind this that you say, oh, well, you never know what you're gonna find. Then why is there a market? I think it's because it's so far, it's not been done enough. I think it's really something that has been left out in the in 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 this field of life imaging. And of course it's a bit, um, it's a bit different than the other passes we went. There's a, um, there, uh, there is some line of thought where we have to say, okay, we need to convince. We have to do a little bit of convincing. Okay, <laughs> <I guess>. so, <laughs> halfway through that network, you were talking about, you know, look, going through new new frontiers. I thought you were going very Star Trek on me for a moment. Uh, <laughs> pushing into I have to admit, I'm a, I'm a very Trekkie person, but uh, that's a different story, I guess. <laughs> oh, so, so were you a Star Trek or Star Wars person? That's an Star Trek. Star You're Star Trek. Trek. Mm -hmm. Chris, Star Trek, Star Wars? Neither. 
Neither or either? Neither. Either, okay. And Torsten? Probably a little bit more Star Wars, actually. More Star Wars. It was kind of the first movie I saw, I think, in the in the theater. Wow. <laughs> oh. Tells you how old I am. Yeah, but, I, but I, I, I'm sure I saw James T. Kirk on TV before I went to see the movies. Um, that, that could be. But it was every week, so it was not as special as this one movie. <laughs> that's better. I also actually just think about the Star Trek thing. Uh, uh, I, 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 Annette, you sent one or two slides and yeah, yeah. got the nice PSF over on my side here. Uh, and it just, you know, it's like beam me up Scotty now, isn't it? You've got this nice, <laughs> I'm expecting it to be. So, Actually, let, let's maybe concentrate on the technique. We've heard, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know who wants to describe this, whether it's Torsten or Annette. It's Annette's vigor, but obviously, Torsten, you're more than qualified to talk about this as well. <laughs> Over on the right, we have the point-fed function. So this, I guess, is the molecules moving in, moving out. You can essentially think of it as a an arrow-shaped glass for those that are listening. Mm-hmm. And you can see a particle moving in and a particle moving out. This is, this is your cars coming into earshot and out of earshot. Uh, right. Okay, so it's interesting that this is just one point. It's fairly static mm. for most PF, for, for most techniques. It's a, a static point that you're you're opening one window, Torsten. Is that right, mostly? Uh that's that that's right in principle. But it, you, okay, the, there the analogy breaks down. You could open multiple windows, of of course, but each window has to be somehow separated from the others. Otherwise, uh, you lose your your fluctuations, right? You can't hear anything anymore. Okay. So the point spread function tells you how how far the the information of a window can travel inside the house. Mm. So it gets a bit complicated. Yeah. <laughs> well, which is quite good because this is now starting to appreciate. And you've. To be fair, you've all made it sound really super easy at the moment. And it's not the actual math behind this. The, the, the logic is actually not so easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the average biologist, this is quite scary. It's conceptually quite difficult sometimes to get your head around how it actually comes out with a, a relevant biological number at the end. Mm-hmm. So how do, you, how, how do you make this approachable? Who would like to answer Torsten? Maybe Torsten go first. Oh, okay. No, no, no. I, I think that is that is exactly the problem. I mean, the calculation of this odd correlation function, which is very similar to a Fourier transform, is not super difficult, right? The problem is the interpretation. The problem is actually the fitting. And it's like, how do you know how that odd correlation function should look like? I mean, you get in the function. It's like, how do I know how to extract data from that? That is actually the really hard part. And but again, as I, I said earlier, I think we are at a, at a, at a stage where we can do this almost automatically so to 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 remove actually this step from the from the from from, from the normal user with quality controls right mm-hmm. to provide the, the data instead of having the the user actually sit there and trying to read a math book about fitting data mm-hmm. and actually i'm going to come to chris first chris this is fcs as you know it or knew it uh with single point and from recollection you did a bit of fcs before dynamics profiler yeah, so what you describe about biologists being scared of the maths and, you know, kind of knowing roughly what the software does, but not knowing how to, to use it, that, that's a good description of what we did previously. So, I mean, we have collaborated with the physics department here at York. So we've published various papers with Mark Leake, and they've done, you know, they have their custom-built microscope and their custom-built analysis. 
and they can get some of these parameters for sure but then you know it it's more limited in that when we want to couple it to microfluidics for example which we can do with all the different Scan 2 and lattice sim we were struggling to do that with that other system so then we did have a bash with fcs again with help from tess stanley from ian hitchcock's lab yep. and other people from the technology facility and then my memory is we were addressing reviewer comments and we tried biochemistry fret and fcs and we just kind of needed one of them to work and the fret worked really well really quickly and then some of the biochemistry was making sense so when we were trying fcs it was kind of complicated there was beads calibration you know it, it just it just didn't all come together so i've been kind of aware of the the functionality of fcs but we've never you know we've never published it we've never performed a full data set so that's why i was interested in this dynamic profiler because it sounded like an easier way to get at these parameters that you know i mentioned we study membrane trafficking surface membrane proteins, so transmembrane domain proteins in the plasma membrane. So obviously we care about the environment and how they're, these change in different conditions and so on, as, as Thurston kind of described in the introduction. Okay, so <laughs> and maybe this is the best time to actually say what the innovation is. What is different? So dynamics profiler, DP, I, what do you call it? I would just call it DP because I am someone who abbreviates everything but you continue to call it dynamics profiler dynamics profiler okay. dynamics profiler yeah i have to that's part of my job to always have the full name and i cannot abbreviate um it it hurts me i can i say it here it hurts me when i see every scan with a big capital s written in the middle of the name which is so it's 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 one of the things that i'm <laughs> i'm always very much aware of because finding the right name is such a tedious process and um, when you have one, um, but still, that's uh, maybe just my my character. Uh, we are we are diverting from the actual topic. Yeah, um, so what was the question? <laughs> tell, yeah. tell us what is different about it, or what oh, does okay. it add to FCS yes. that wasn't previously? Okay. What what, what come on? What, what's good about it? What's good about it? Okay, so um, so actually, we did. What's good about it? We did actually ask our colleagues and some some users uh, what what does uh, what makes an FCS expert, right? So we asked the question to figure out how to make it easy. So one thing is that we asked all those questions and we took the points one by one and said, okay, so if you need this to be an expert, how can we take this and make it easier for you? And so we made it easy and therefore accessible. So that's um, by a wizard. So we introduced a wizard that makes sure everything is aligned, everything is Every, every all your hardware is correct. You cannot choose the wrong objective lens because you need a certain quality um, of optics. Um, you have you can only choose the right laser lines. You can you cannot really do anything wrong in this regard. And then when you start measuring, uh, you get a color code if your um, counts per molecules, which is essentially your signal, if that's good or not. So that's one step. So you make it easy in terms of taking away all those steps. <clears throat> So this is all the, the user interface. That's the, the user interface. So that's, yeah. okay. so that's one part that's really good, um, I would say, where um, you're guided and you can learn doing it. Um, and it's it's um, it's not as full 
is the normal FCS with options. So it's a little bit limited, but so you can be not intimidated and still do what you need to do at the beginning. And you can always go and become an expert from that, I would say. That's the one thing um, that was one real big focus and um, where we did our homework. And then the other part comes from the AeriScan um, design. So you have those 32 elements. Essentially, you have 32 little PSFs um, that are arranged in a way that we know with a with a spatial distribution that we know. So how the um, how then the signal is um, collected, we can make use of this in two different ways. And one is that we get the spatial information for um, additional measurements. So we can see is uh, we can't really. Sometimes we can see if a molecule goes from left to right, not all the time, but we can see if there are borders. We can see. Um, we can measure um, with one measurement the speed. So maybe we come to this in more detail. So that's really cool. And then what came a little bit as a something that I wanted so much for this and came was then kind of coming. Oh no, we can't do it. Oh yes, we can. Or maybe not. Oh yes, it, it does work. Was the intensity? <laughs> and there was um, the um, that was the thirty-two elements are uh, being used how we use it, it's that you can really go into very bright samples. And that is helpful because you don't have to care anymore. You can go into the um, low expression levels for a normal FCS. There is, the performance is the same, at least in, in, uh, in, the, in the time resolution that it offers, but you can go very bright. So, um, so you could measure um, uh, just um, solution of something. Um, of a dye if needed. And uh, I think we did this for some of the examples actually, which makes sense when we talk maybe about that functionality. Um, so you don't have to worry anymore. So you can just uh, do your comparisons and um, we didn't find a sample that was too bright, let's say this way. And that was really helpful. And maybe the last, sorry, it's maybe a bit long answer. The last step was the, um, was uh, what uh, Chris mentioned, um, those uh, calibrations. So we did um, we did a calibration in, is, so there are no values for this kind of calibration in the software and you can decide yourself because there's a certain amount of error from system to system, not in between measurements, but from system to system. So we give a kind of mean value and say, that's a, that will be good, but your system could be plus minus some percent uh, different. But then you can make the decision, is that good enough for me? Do I just roughly compare something? And then you could leave the calibrations off and still get your values. Or you can still do the calibration and put this value in however you like. It's all in the wizard. So you can do this even in a wizard and then get a, a for your system more correct answer, so to speak, um, and compare better in between systems. So if you're working in cooperation with somebody on a different site, then those values are better comparable if you do this kind of calibration, obviously. Those kind of things. So it's lots of nitty-gritty details, but then, so it's more simple. Uh, you can essentially measure everything. And yeah, we come to the new information with the spatial very scan detector, I guess. How long did it take to actually go from <laughs> concept of, of mm -hmm. this is what you're going to do to today where you've just launched a product around this. How long did that process take? It's longer than, it was longer than a year. It's longer than a year, maybe one and a half. Okay. From concept uh, to product. Mm -hmm. That's pretty fast. 
I, I, in scientific world and the calibrations and all the testing and robustness, I think that's pretty fast, actually. What, what's your tip? What for most products? What's the typical timeline then? Hmm. There is no typical timeline. Sorry, <laughs> there is just no typical, and it would make our lives a lot easier if we could just say, "Oh, this will always take such and such." But at the end, um, you look at it and then you make a plan. And then you stick to the plan. Best best idea situation is to do that. <laughs> but yeah. things change. I guess just like any scientific experiment, you, you start here to get here, but as you, as you go along, things crop up, things change, and you have to change your path to get there, I guess. Mm. I, I'm going to ask yeah. Torsten, have you uh, <clears throat> had a play with Dynamics Profiler? Uh, yes, a little bit. And how how what what are your thoughts as someone who's uh comes from a purist FCS background? What are your thoughts on Dynamics Profiler? What do you like about it? Maybe I should start there. Yeah, no, what what Annette already said. I mean, there's a couple of of, of nice features that keep you on track, that give you feedback. Um, I think there's different ways to do that, but Dynamic Profiler is doing that actually. I'm I'm sorry, um, it's doing that actually uh, quite well. I think that should help actually a lot of users to get into this um in in okay in our lab we do it slightly differently in our lab we 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 just we just sit somebody and 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 take a look at the correlation function because actually after you've done two or three you know whether a correlation function is good or not you just don't know what it means yet so mm -hmm. um we're trying to do this as well very interactively and i think dynamic profile is doing this actually quite well i think it's 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 much easier to use than 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 earlier systems <clears throat> and Chris, so so you come from a background of tests and a team help you do FCS. You've sat down now and done this yourself in person. What what are, what is your impression? What are your thoughts? Hey, uh, yeah. So I came into it just you know like quite happy to blindly test it. We did a very simple experiment where we we've previously defined different regions of the plasma membrane one that we yeah this is a good example so it's a weird name the isosome it's the structure that's found in in yeast and yeah if pete's ducking down you can see <laughs> it's these little punctate dots about the plasma membrane especially when we focus on the top of the cell and that's different than other cargos that might be more dispersed throughout so based on this knowledge and the fact that isosomes had been described as static or at least very low level uh, low levels of dynamics we did that and another protein that we predicted would actually move very fast so something that's involved in fusion of fast moving vesicles so that was our our sledgehammer that should give us a delta right and then we, we threw another thing in an unknown in and then again pete's gonna have to duck because i didn't format these for him to be standing in front of them. <laughs> but what you can see is on the right, the things we predicted would be very low uh, with regards to the diffusion coefficient was indeed. Our fast thing was very fast and the unknown was slower than, you know, somewhere in the middle. So that was pretty encouraging, you know, just from taking something out of the freezer to, to test and whether it, it fit. And then I think the next day, I haven't sent the, the data, but those fast moving things, I treated those cells with a compound to, to essentially kill the cell. 
or at least halt enzymatic processes. And then I repeated the analysis and, you know, the, the dynamics were gone. So as a, a very basic user, it did appear to be reporting on the, the physics of those molecules in a way that, that we expected. Oh, I have one other, one other advantage actually. So I put those in the freezer and then I think like a month later, uh, a student I co-supervised was actually doing a placement with Pete and she went on to do some dynamics profiling as part of that placement. And if you look at her data and my data, they're remarkably similar. So again, I was, you know, going into it with, with nothing to, no expectations, but actually being genuinely quite impressed with the results we got. <clears throat> I've got to say so from my side. So actually, if, if I'm going to come into my own podcast now, which is a bit unusual <laughs> from, from the core facility perspective, you know, one of the problems with FCS, it's always needs one. It always needed one of my staff. So whether it be Grant, Graham, Karen, Joe, to be there with them, doing it for them or tests as a postdoc uh, in, in Hitchcock's lab when she was there. <clears throat> we needed that level of expertise to support the user. It wasn't something we could easily let a user loose on very very quickly because quite often they do a few experiments go away and it'd be months before they came back to do the next set of experiments by which point i think unless you mentioned earlier by the time you come back you've forgotten mm -hmm. how to do your controls and everything else <clears throat> what was really good with this from my perspective is actually chris could do it Blythe could do it uh so the students uh chris is referring to and they could do it really well and reliably and that was super cool and maybe the, the biggest credit to the user friendliness was that I could do it, which is always a good test. Uh, <clears throat> although my team are probably laughing if they're watching or listening to this right now, thinking, yes, so he thinks. <laughs> uh, but actually, I, I recall uh, my PhD student, uh, Laura Wiggins, we were doing some FRAP experiments. No, we weren't doing FRAP. We were doing, we were looking at some static situations. And there was something odd about the sample. We couldn't understand what was going on. So we thought, well, actually, we should frap this. But actually, frap, this is the first time, actually, the dynamics profile made doing FCS quicker and easier to get my, my result than frap was. And as a hardcore frap person, <clears throat> that, that was quite exciting. It was like, oh, no, let's not use this. Ran next door, got it onto the beta test, tried it with the FCS. And then we could try at the low expression levels. Mm medium expression levels, high expression levels. We could see the concentration of the protein that we were interested in, and we could see that the dynamics were constant. So we weren't biasing it towards what our eyes were drawn to the prettier pictures or the bright ones, but going right down to the low expression and seeing that it was still relevant uh, for that data. And to be able to do that within half an hour, and then another two hours of repeats to, to make sure it is absolutely <laughs> robust. Half an hour told us we think we're honest, but then obviously you have to repeat it and take time to then do the repeat. But it was super simple. As I say, it was me who was doing it. I, Annette, you were actually around at the time. But you were leaving at that moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were <laughs> heading so out. leaving out the door and I jumped in. Grant gone with you, which meant I was alone <laughs> with and having to do this. But it worked. And that's what was so brilliant. We could check that we weren't studying artifactual biology and we could understand the basics of it. Mm -hmm. So back to you, Annette, what was the biggest challenge in its development? What was the biggest hurdle to overcome? Oh, okay. 
what was the biggest hurdle to overcome? Now, you know, when you're developing hmm. anything, you must get to a block, a point, just like when we're doing research. You um, get to a point where you, you know where you want to go to, but you just okay. can't get over that hurdle for some reason. What was the biggest barrier? What was what slowed it down the most? I think um, I think there was not, funnily enough, there was not a big block. So the technology is very straightforward. The, the vision was very straightforward. I think we did take an extra round really for the wizard and or multiple extra rounds for the wizard and the ease of use and with alpha testing and beta testing and then making sure that simplifying it while not cutting away too much of the possibilities uh, for applications that we might not even know yet. So, because as I said, if you open a door, you might not know what you find. That's the same for us, of course. And um, I mentioned the, the the spatial measurements, the asymmetric uh, measurements that we do, or the flow measurement um, that we can do. You know, that's asymmetric. Thank you, where you can see differences in molecular behavior and characteristics in one point spread function, and the flow, which gives you the option to something is moved actively uh, to determine speed and direction. So. Not a lot of people have then um, an experiment sitting on their shelf, which we can try out. So we had to really develop ourselves uh, tests and applications and look what works and what doesn't, which is again, less straightforward than resolution speed and sensitivity. Um, fantastic features, but more straightforward in our world. And so I guess that took us a little bit uh, longer, um, but okay. other than that, I cannot say that there was a big block. I guess we um, we did um, ask our um, developer or developers, but one in peculiar, um, many, many times to explain stuff to us as we as if we were five year olds, like how how this works, this asymmetry and this flow, because again, we need to translate it right for everybody. So we would ask this question many, many times. Um, and lucky for all of us, um, our colleagues are extremely patient and very good in translating. So I'm uh, very grateful there. So yeah, that was very was a very fun project. Mm. I, I I think so, so, so for those who are listening, there's an image yeah. up on the visuals at the moment, which actually looks a bit like a Trivial Pursuit yes. uh, game where there's still two wedges <laughs> to be won. Uh, it's true. And <laughs> actually, I, I find this part actually conceptually the hardest to understand how it works, because yeah. it depends on where you're where you drop your spot. If I can just go to another image, I don't know if this one will have it. Yeah, that's uh, so the, this is an um, image of a few cells, and you've got uh, essentially it's a bit like targets. Uh, sort yeah. of if, if you were a Top Gun <laughs> pilot type thing, you've got your little crosshairs, and that's where you're going to FCS, and you've yeah. got multiples of these. And of course, the, the dynamics in those regions will depend on the orientation of the, the cell, the shape, everything else. So making sense of flow, actually, oh. I find conceptually. Oh, yeah, this, no, this is I the asymmetric. Really yeah, but this is the asymmetric measurement. And here, so it's not about flow, what is happening here. So those are um, condensates and um, oh, the reference is not all in there. So I hope um, I will be forgiven. 
Um, so this these are cellular condensates, and what you see, the little circles are actually the diameter of the Aries scan detector. So you always see where you measure exactly in your image. So it's not just a crosshair, but you see exactly where your borders are. And then on the right hand side in this image, you see um, a graphics with a heat map, so from red to blue, um, displaying concentration and um, movement. Um, it doesn't tell you direction. It doesn't tell you speed. It's um, it's diffusion based, but you can see. Um, you can really visualize differences and hear those condensates dynamically form and then dynamically disperse again. And um, so FCS here, um, so those are essentially two flies with one hit is that you can now um, go and do kind of normal FCS measurement, um, but then characterize the borders with the asymmetry. And um, those condensates get very, very bright because the, the proteins assemble and concentrate and you couldn't measure anything there. So um, so those two um, components of the dynamics profile are not come together that your brightness is not an issue and you have this op opportunity um, for the spatial thing. There's another um, example, however, for flow, uh, the microfluidic system, where um, I sent you an image, I hope I labeled it right, uh, where you, yes, where you can see this was a, so this is a microfluidic capillary system, which we uh, just filled with a dye solution. And what we measured is um, essentially a profile of the flow. So you would get um, in those machines kind of a mean um, value of uh, how much of your fluid would pass through your capillary. And um, now if you're really interested what your cells or your organoids or spheroids experience um, in terms of flow or force or kind of movement, you can now measure this um, with the flow. And there, that gives you actually micrometers per second speed and the correct direction. And um, you can see how this um, kind of, depending on how far away you are from the capillary wall, your speed is changing. So there, so there is a graph. And surprisingly enough, you need from this, I think it's a 500 or a millimeter diameter. I think it needs almost 200 microns to actually go to the full speed. And then it's um, uh, uh, homogeneous and then it goes down of course again and that's something that you would have maybe not known or guessed or this is now uh, is now visible so um, so this is so this is more straightforward I would say to understand flow for me at least is more straightforward um, complete and gives you completely different um, set of information so it's yeah I like you know, it's something I, I had until now, which is really stupid, having been involved for so long, to think about actually when we do have microfluidic devices, we can actually test the speed that we're actually pumping it through to make sure every time that we use it, which is not really interested in the biology. It's just making sure the conditions we're studying the right. biology are consistent by just having a, a, a fluorescence that's not going to interfere just in solution to test the flow rate. I also like the fact that, again, the concentration can be tested to make sure the concentration is consistent. Right. I still haven't done it, but I still want to put my <laughs> antibodies on there after one month, six months and 12 months in storage and look at my antibody concentration and look to see if we get in change of aggregation states mm -hmm. as well within it. Uh, so again, it, it's kind of just a useful tool <laughs> uh, that's not necessarily mm -hmm. related to the biological, but it's just, it has other, other functionalities that I think would be kind of, maybe that's just a geek in me, useful to, to use as a, as a tool for other things other than just biological applications. Torsten, yeah. what, what are your, because we've actually only got five minutes left. 
Mm-hmm. So time has really flown. <clears throat> what are your final thoughts around Dynamics Profiler? And I then have one more question for you after that. So what are your thoughts around Dynamics Profiler first? And what are you using it for? Are you still using it in anger or are you still really great? Dynamics Profiler exists. I'm on to the next thing for FCS. Let, let's look at the future. Where's it going? So for us, I mean, for us, it's actually important for the for the facility, right? So we we have we have exactly the same issue. Actually, people don't use actually FCS that incredibly often. Uh, they typically come to us and then they want us to do the measurements or so. Or we train the students or whatever. So with dynamic profiler, that is of course much easier. They can actually go to a system, go there, be guided, right, and and get the first results. So for us ourselves, uh, we we go in a, in a in a slightly slightly different direction. We're trying to uh look at things like artificial intelligence to help interpret the fcs data etc and uh i i I think ultimately that's one of the things where things gonna gonna go because that will help as well in 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 interpreting the data but i want to make one point very quickly but to give you a little bit of a different uh um uh angle on, on on fcs in principle if you do your measurements right and the only thing you have to do, the, the, the instrument always stays exactly the same. You just have to measure a little bit faster. You still get your image. You just get many, many images. I mean, you can compress, you can project them, you get your normal image. But if you measure them fast enough, you can actually just get actually FCS along for free. The, the, you know, the systems we have now are almost all capable of doing FCS in one way or another. The only thing is, do you want to extract your information or not? Why not? Because it basically comes along for free, right? You just have to measure a little bit faster. And perhaps and on confocal apps, it's a little bit longer as well, but, you know. So that's what we're looking towards towards in the future as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and making it even more widely applicable and always there. Uh, my one last question mm-hmm. was, the maths that are involved in the analysis and the predictive maths and the machine learning I'm suspecting, in fact, you kind of what you just said kind of alludes a bit to this. We can probably get even more from less in the way of data to understand our samples going forward. So maths and machine learning help us predict and understand what's going on. Do you see that being a big area of development over the next five to 10 years? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think that this is it, what you said is exactly right. You can get more from less because at the moment, FCS measurements, you know, you, you need uh, several seconds, right? 10 seconds or whatever. There was just uh, Joachim Müller from Minnesota just actually published a very nice article where he shows that he can actually get uh, diffusion coefficients from shorter data. Um, we just have uh, uh, looked at, at AI and trying to get as well actually data from much shorter uh, traces. So you don't have to measure that long anymore. So if you don't have to measure long anymore, right, it becomes more practical. And then basically you just get it along with imaging. And uh, again, the mathematics, I think uh, the, the moment you actually use AI, the mathematics is not, is not, is not the issue anymore. Actually, you don't need even correlation functions per se anymore. You can directly take a look at the raw data. Right. So, but, but this is, I think, where the whole thing's going. I think in the, in, in the long run, actually, super resolution, different uh, single molecule techniques, they're going to come together because you can basically measure most of them actually in, 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 a, in a single measurement. I, I, I think this is really exciting going forward. And Chris, I'm going to come to you as an end user. You know, where, how do you see yourself using this? And I haven't just heard what Torsten said, 
come on, you must, you, I know you, you must be already thinking, oh my God, I'm going to now be looking at this, this, this. How quickly can you develop that for us, please? <laughs> so based on what Thorsten just said, uh, one thing I tried, and it's probably at the, the limit of the parameters we were using, the imaging time, and, you know, things were getting bleached. Everything we image is in uh, endosomally tagged, uh, chromosomally tagged, so it's endogenous levels. Some of them in yeast might only be a few hundred molecules per cell, so pretty low level. So one thing I'd like to do is time-lapse FCS, which could come with, you know, the, the shorter imaging uh, profile you said, because, yeah, I think we, we wouldn't be able to do it, but it would be really nice to get some FCS measurements, change the environment of the same cell, and then image again to get the FCS. Because I think when you... Even with super resolution, there could be massive changes in these dynamics that don't really look different by confocal or super mm. res or whatever. So I think getting your finger on the pulse of these biophysical changes that can be very fast and very dramatic would be what, what we'd be interested in using for sure. And I suppose high throughput, you know, like if we could segment cells and use... <clears throat> <clears throat> I'm not selling size instruments, but the CD7 coupled with Ariscan could presumably do this at, you know, high high throughput. So you could screen libraries for that that kind of dynamic information. Which comes back to the future as well, and taking the whole images and being able to take big screens and looking at subtle differences with even within the same within the same well that you can look at differences when it's internalized, not internalized localization. Yes. And Anetta, with you to say some final words. Go on. What what have I missed? What have I not asked you? You wish I'd asked you. Is there anything? Oh, what have I not? Um, so I think. So anything you want to know about it, I think you can find online. So I will. I will finish with not so much the something about the product or the, the dynamics profiler, but. More that um, when you asked me about um, the hurdles, um, I think my final thought would be to really say that the best thing of this for me, the best experiences um, with this uh, Dynamics Profiler was to really see ourselves, our colleagues in Jena um, and lots of people having fun at the system. It's always fantastic if you come with something that you haven't done before and people start having a lot of fun and ideas and um, having this very positive energy. And I think um, that what that's what I will connect with this period um, in, in my life definitely quite a bit. And I don't know if you, um, I, I will not say names, but somebody in York was not an FCS expert, but came in and asked me, so what is this curve? And we said, that's a correlation. And then we explained correlation. And then two hours later, uh, this person, we were discussing about the correlation curve, and this person would kind of come up and say, this is obviously a two-component fit. And this changed from, I don't know what this curve <laughs> is. <laughs> and, this, and it was true uh, to this, this is obviously a two-component fit, and having this very positive energy and fun, I would say that's something that is um, that I do connect with Dynamics Profile, and I like to share. I think that's that's really what I like to share. <laughs> Yeah, that, that that's brilliant. <laughs> thank you, and I, I and actually thank you for all the developments from the end user perspective. It makes a big difference to us. Yeah, 
We are hard, I'm not hardcore. Torsted, you're hardcore microscopist. We have users such as Chris who actually secretly a hardcore microscopist. He just hasn't completely uh, got the tattoo for it yet. Uh, <laughs> but it's making these technologies applicable, which means people can ask, address biological questions that they couldn't otherwise easily address or would shy away from. It's opened a door, which I think is used to be like going to your new frontiers. Mm -hmm. It has opened a door and unlocked it for people to really see the potential and understand their fundamental biology so much better, which you have to understand the fundamentals to move on. Uh, so I, I said that is up to the hour. So I have to thank you all. I shall quickly point out, though, don't forget sure. Petra Schwiller is one of the big stars of FCS as well. There was a lovely podcast with her yeah. uh, a while ago in the series. So please go back to that and have a listen to that. Thank you, everyone who's watched and listened. But a big thank you to Torsten, Annette, Chris. And do you know what? I cannot wait to see the results that are coming out of it in the future. Thank you very much, all. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Thank you, thank you for listening to The Microscopists, a bite-sized bio podcast sponsored by Zeiss Microscopy. To view all audio and video recordings from this series, please visit bitesizebio.com forward slash the microscopists.